um, let you receive. And it's going to look different maybe, but that's a good thing and it's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. Morning, guys. Just want to get my station ready here. So um, a few weeks ago, I, I woke up the one morning and, and just had this sense um, that God was saying that for, for us, and I think for a large number of people in the congregation, I'm getting tangled up here, and that, that this is going to be, a, a, the words that I felt is the season of the restoration of calling. And um, just with that, I, I felt that it's the time of the Josephs. And it was very cool for me. And, and I mean, just thinking for you guys who have been part of us for a, for a while now, even just this year, um, it's, it's so interesting, the just people that have been added to the congregation that have some sort of ministry background, have some sort of thing of, I don't really know why I'm in Stellenbosch, but I find myself in Stellenbosch. And it really just resonated, this word really just resonated with me. And since then, I've just been thinking about the story of Joseph. And it's been so cool, actually. And, and I, just reading it more and, and starting to see a few things, I, was, I think there's, there's quite a bit in it for us in general. I think irrespective of, of where you find yourself, there's quite a few things that we can take from this. So I'm going to do like a jet speed run through of the story of Joseph and then just step through some of the different things that, that I, I felt God highlighting for this morning. So I just quickly want to pray for us before we jump in. Lord, I want to thank you that you are a God who, who is involved in the lives of your people. Lord, you aren't far off and, and removed from us. Uh, God, but you are intricately involved. Jesus, and even where we can't see and where we don't understand, Lord, you do, and your purposes remain, your ways remain, individually and in the bigger scheme of things as well. Lord, and I pray this morning as we, we consider your word and, and just the story of, of what you have done and how you have worked, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts will be opened again in a new way, that we would have a hope and a confidence that you are the one who fulfills your purposes for us. Jesus, that you are the one who is in control, irrespective of our, our circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in. Lord, so open up our hearts that we would receive what it is that you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, strap yourself in. We're going to be, be running through this now. So the, we start off with the story of Joseph in Genesis 37, and it sort of covers the whole last section of the Bible. And I was just thinking, it's, it's so interesting the way that the Bible would speed through certain things, and then all of a sudden, just boom, lock in. And I think it's significant just generally speaking, if while we're reading the Bible, to just have that at the back of the mind. It's, it's not these little isolated stories, but all of these things fit in. There's these guys that say the, the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. And so when there's such a big emphasis on a certain part, I mean, 36 runs through the descendants of Esau, 
And then it starts in 37 with the descendants of Jacob. And all of a sudden, boom, it just stops with this story of Joseph and unpacks that so much. So I think just general Bible reading thing. When the Bible stops and unpacks a story, it's so helpful sometimes just to step into that and ask, like, what is the significance of this in the bigger scheme of things? How does this fit in to pointing to Jesus? Now, that's not what I'm unpacking, just a, a little handle for us in, in the way we read our, our Bibles. So just 37 verse 1 to 5. Jacob lived in the land of his father sojournings. I think, <laughs> in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing his flock with his brothers. He was, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zil, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that the father loved them more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he had told his brothers, they hated him even more. <laughs> it seems the life of Joseph sucked in his relation to his siblings. And so the next few verses, he, he tells them this dream, and there's two different dreams that he had, both of them coming down to the first, the, the grains bowing before him. The second one, the sun, the moon, and the stars coming before him. And for his brothers, like, are we going to bow to you? It's like, come on. Like, what are you thinking? Even his father, who loves him, at a stage rebukes him. It's like, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers really take this up the wrong way. So, uh, a bit further down the line, his father sends him to go check up on his brothers. And while he's coming, his brother actually tried to, to come up with a plan to murder him. Luckily, the one brother intervenes and suggests, let's rather throw him in a pit. <laughs> That's going to be a bit better. Boom, they throw, throw Joseph into the pit. Just as luck, some, some slave owners come by and his brothers sell him off into slavery. Then we get to chapter 39 and we see how Joseph ends up into Potiphar's household. And verse 1 to 5 in, in chapter 39. So Joseph is brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was the house of the Egyptian. He was in the house of his Egyptian master his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. For the, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So even though Joseph ended up in this unexpected, undesirable place, still the hand of God was on him. And you see the Lord blessing what he does and actually blessing his circumstances because of him. And then Joseph's luck. A few chapters later, Potiphar's wife sees this guy walking around the house and she thinks, damn. <laughs> and she, she tries to make a move on Joseph. But Joseph being the upright Integrity sort of guy makes a run for it. 
go and she grabs onto his cloak, has a piece of his cloak, and now she actually goes and she lies about what happened. And she accuses him of actually trying to make a move on her. And Potiphar gets really upset and actually throws Joseph in jail. Then we get to chapter 14. And it speaks how he was thrown into prison and again the Lord was with him and whatever he did the Lord succeeded. That's the end of 39, 40. It says, sometime after this the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt and they were also thrown into prison. So we see thrown in prison and then sometime seems to go by again. You see this also in verse 4. It says, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him and attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And just this, this time just keeps building where, where Joseph finds himself in prison. Great for him, the, the two guys that end up in prison with him has these dreams that they just don't understand. And Joseph comes and he, he interprets it for them. And in, in verse 14, as he's interpreting the one dream, he says... To, to the cupbearer who, if you know the story, know that the, had a positive outcome in terms of his dream. He says to him, only remember me when it is well with you. Sorry. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. And so the cupbearer gets restored into the house of Pharaoh. The baker is not so lucky. But in verse... Verse 23, we see the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And the start of 41, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and I'll go into that now. But again, seems to be this opportune moment for his circumstances to change and for him to find him in a different place. And then the cupbearer just forgets about him. And for another two years, he finds himself stuck in the same place as he was. So in, in chapter 41, we see how, how the Pharaoh actually also has two, two dreams. And the one has to do with grain and the other one with cows. And he gets all of the magicians out of Egypt to try and interpret this dream, but they just don't understand. Luckily, the cupbearer... <laughs> has this moment where he remembers. I wonder how he felt in that moment. I, I was thinking about it. So when things get hectic, I, I tend to neglect my WhatsApps. And then coming to a place like this, you see a person, you're like, oh, snap. I, I never, never replied on that. It's something you know you're supposed to do, but you're like, oh, I forgot. Now imagine two whole years this guy could have helped Joseph get out of prison. And for two whole years, he completely forgot about him. Luckily, he remembers. And they call up Joseph. And Joseph comes and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him. And he, he explains that there's going to be this time of abundance and then a time of severe famine. And from verse 37 on, it speaks how Pharaoh then actually appoints Joseph in the household and with his wisdom, to start making decisions. And all of a sudden, Joseph's circumstances change, and he's in a completely different role, and the wisdom of God kicks in, and he starts helping prepare for this time of famine. 
and they prop up all the storehouses. It speaks about how he purchases land from, from afar and adds it to Egypt. And then the famine hits. And initially we see how the Bible actually says, I think it's the end of chapter 41, it says, the whole earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because of the famine was severe all over the, world, the earth. Like this thing, how God raised him up to this place where he could actually prepare to take care of the world. And then we see, long story, I'm going to make this very short, how his family comes in several iterations to him and actually find himself to that place of the dream that he had, that his, his family comes in the position of, of actually bowing down to him. And there's the whole story just with their restoration and everything that happened there. That's not important for what I want to share today. But there's that, the family that came in. And I think even more importantly, how God used this whole situation to set up the next part of the story of salvation history. That for us actually becomes such a big part of what I said earlier, the unified story that starts leading to Jesus of God's people out of this family that multiply and multiply in the land of Egypt and God then having to intervene somewhere else. But just crazy how despite all of these adverse circumstances, exactly the right place, exactly the right time, God comes and he raises Joseph up to the place that he's required to be in. And this morning, I actually just want to, I want to focus in on three areas of, of difficulty that I think Joseph faced along the way. And I'm going to cover quite a lot of, within these areas, I'm going to cover quite a lot of things. And I think the, the intention for me is maybe to use a, a picture. I, we recently went camping and the day before I carried something and twisted my back in the way that I should have not developed the spasm in my back. <laughs> so the whole week, you know, I was walking quite awkward. And then I went to the physio soon after that. So if you've been to the physio and you don't know 100% what's going on, typically what happens is they'll start this general sort of warm you up massage. <laughs> and then as you go along, they'll feel like, ooh, here's something. And they'll get involved there and they'll... They'll try, like, poke around until they find that pressure point. And they press it on and press it on and press it on until the thing pops. And I think for me this morning, it's going to be this, this broad massage. And hopefully in the process, you will find, like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> There's a little pressure point that I didn't realize was there. So it's, it's not sorting all the issues out. I think it's that trying to zone in and, and help you see just where certain things are that, that might just cause you to miss out on some of the things that God is actually busy doing. So I'm going to call it my pressure points, my P points. You'll see I've got a lot of P's. I like my alliteration. So <laughs> the, three, the three main areas is people, places, and periods of time. So firstly, people. In the story of Joseph, I mean, <laughs> damn, like, it's, it's hectic. You see, 
hatred towards him from his family. And there's almost a, a betrayal, a selling him into slavery, being lied about, being overlooked. And it's interesting, just the, the three, like three different groups that, that come out. is one, the family, like the people that are closest to him. Second one, people in authority. And then third, just sort of your interaction on a, on a daily basis. Um, but I think of all these things that, that can happen to us, those first two, those cut deep if this is the things that, that take place. Your family, the people that are closest to you, that some way come against you. And people in authority that, you, that should be there to protect and guide and lead. Where these things happen, it hurts deeply. And I think three things that, that can creep in as these things happen to us. The first is we start believing a lie about ourselves or about God or the things that God has for us. So um, one, once a situation that happened with me in early in my high school days, we slept over at a friend's house and the morning woke up and we were speaking about something that, that I can't even remember what, but I remember that I was excited to participate in this conversation because I had something to say. And I started speaking and one of my friends said, Shut up, no one cares what you have to say. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? And just, I mean, you 14 year old teenagers, super socially awkward and aware, something like that hits deep from a friend. And then, just as time goes on, in different ways, this thing can be reinforced. So what happened with me is you'll be in a conversation, and it won't be intentional at all, but you'll start speaking and someone will chip in, not meaning to speak over you, but you're like, oh, maybe what I have to say doesn't really matter. And eventually this thing just starts spiraling to the point where you can't even trace it back to a single thing, but it's so deeply ingrained in us that... My voice and my opinion doesn't matter. And that was a deep thing that I actually had to deal with and eventually realized, like, whoa, okay, it came from that thing. But it's that the people close, close to me, that, that situation that, that caused me to believe a lie. The second one is resentment or unforgiveness towards the people that might have done this. I don't know what the sort of situations are that, that you've been through or the way that people might have backstabbed you or come against you. But if we consider the story of the Bible, there is no room for unforgiveness and resentment to stay within our hearts. You might feel that I don't understand or the people around you don't understand. But consider Jesus. Consider the way of Jesus, who firstly knew what he was going to get himself into and still came. And he went through the most, I mean, reviled, mocked, crucified, killed by his own people. And still, he forgave, extends his forgiveness to all of us. And we see this 
what's expected of us in response to this in Colossians 3 verse 13. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The standard of forgiveness, as God has forgiven you, he's called us to forgive. Now, I mean, especially for people that have been Christian for a long time, I think this is something easy, we know this. But just in, in preparing, I actually... I actually just felt that, that for some people that they, they might, how can I phrase this? It, looking back at these bad situations, um, you might feel that you have moved on. But I think for some people, there's still an element of resentment or unforgiveness that's in the heart. And I would really encourage you to just like, open up your heart in front of the Lord. And I was really praying, even like as I'm saying this, that the Lord would just come put his finger and just highlight. And whatever that thing is, that you would come and that you would deal with it. And then the last thing, and this is something that, that is quite subtle, but I think it's also extremely dangerous. And that's raising the walls of our heart. So I might have forgiven I might have dealt with the lies, but I just prop up these walls and I'd no longer allow people to come in because then there's not even a place for them to come against me and hurt me. And this is dangerous. C.S. Lewis actually has this thing, I think I still have it open, where he speaks about vulnerability and love. And he says, like, the, the danger of, of vulnerability is that there's the possibility of your heart being wrung and broken. But he says, if you want to make sure that you keep it intact, don't give it to anyone, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in the safe casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, Airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And I want to say to let people into your life at all is to be vulnerable. And just this, I think this last year, the more that I read this and the more I get to spend time with you guys, the more I realize I will never walk in the fullness of what God has for me outside of you guys. Like my destiny, my calling is bound up with the people of God. And the same for you. Like for Jesus' sake, for the kingdom's sake, for the church's sake, we need to lower those walls we need to open up the doors and let people in. The church will never be what God has called it to be unless that takes place. We need every single person to give themselves. And I realize like, it might be a daunting thing, and I'm not saying like, <laughs> flaunt your heart around and just throw it in to everyone. But there's some really trustworthy 
solid people around you. And just start with that first step of allowing people in. People. Secondly, places. So in, in Joseph's story, he finds himself in some weird, weird places. <laughs> Mostly undesirable. And just to keep the peas rolling, we see him in a pit. We see him in Potiphar's house. We see him in a prison. <laughs> and then we see him in Pharaoh's land. <laughs> So, so I'm going to use some of these just as a bit of an analogy as in some areas. But do you find yourself in any of these places? So firstly, the pit. The place where there seems to be no way out. Where you seem to be stuck. And this can manifest in, in whatever way. I mean, the last two years have been hectic for a lot of people. And just... Within the family, we've, we've seen um, people really struggling with, with depression and hopelessness. We've seen people come into really difficult financial situations or um, just situations within the families with their health. That there just seems to be no way out. And uh, like, I felt also just to pause and be like, I'm sorry. Like we, we really sympathize with you if this is where you find yourself. And it's, it was my prayer also just that, that through this morning and through, it's so cool, that victory belongs to Jesus and all these things just coming through. Is that, again, you'll see Jesus. You'll see this bit that there is a way out and it's found in the person of Jesus. And at the same time, I... I do want to encourage you that if this is where you find yourself, you don't have to be there by yourself. Like God has given us this. God has given people around you. And I'm, I know that it sucks day in and day out to say, you know, it's still not going better. <laughs> I'm still finding myself here. I'm still finding myself here. But there's a beauty. There's a, there's a responsibility us as a family to take care of you and I know a lot of people haven't been in the church for a long time but that has been the consistent testimony of people that have struggled with these things do not sit in the pit by yourself then the prison and I'm going to link this up just with the last ones as well but the prison the the place of captivity but in in Joseph's case, we, we actually see how he's given some sort of re responsibility and um, he's got a bit of freedom within the prison, but he still finds himself in prison. And we see how God blesses him, but there's still this sense of limitation. There's still this sense that he can't really fully do what he wants to do. And I think similarly for, for some of us, that might be where you're finding yourself. It's, it's not necessarily the pit where there's absolutely nowhere out and you, you can't like, feel any form of freedom. You might find yourself in a place where it's like there's a measure to which I'm finding God and walking in the things that God has for me, but it's, 
it just always feels like, ah, there has to be something more. And I'll, I'll bring that through now, but just to tie in with Potiphar's house and Pharaoh's land, just random, weird places, like strange and unexpected. <laughs> and with all these things, we see how God irrespective of where he was, came, blessed him in that, but also carried him through, connected him with exactly the right people at exactly the right time, even though it seemed as if they forgot him. Even though he was in the place because of someone else's nonsense, still, God came, boom, right place, right time, right people. And unlocked the doors and took him to exactly where he needs to be. And so if that is you, like that feeling of limitation, or just like, oh, there needs to be more. Or just, <laughs> I don't know, Murnay, and so many of the other older people that we've spoken to in this time as well. Finding yourself in Stellenbosch and not knowing what the heck <laughs> is God busy doing. He's in control. He stands above. He holds your life, your purpose, the things that he has for you in his hand. And he will be the one that unlocks at exactly the right time. Fix your eyes on Jesus. People, places, and then period of time. So when we introduce to Joseph in, um, I think it's chapter 37, it speaks about him as this, this confident 17-year-old. <laughs> it's quite clear on what he thinks is going to happen with his life. And then life starts happening to him. And we see that some time <laughs> goes by. Another bit of time goes by. You see him ending up in prison, the guy forgetting about him for two years. At the stage that he comes to Pharaoh, it speaks about him. I'm not exactly sure which chapter it is, but it speaks about him being 30 years old. And then it's still that, like the preparation time of, of like buying the land and stuff. So possibly like that old, another seven year plus the time in the famine period before his family comes and before those dreams that he has as a 17-year-old came to fulfillment. That's a long time if you are like younger, especially for the younger people. It's, it's always funny for me, like guys saying how long they waited for something and then it's like a year. <laughs> We've got no idea what it means to wait. So last weekend we had a work function in PE with a few different organizations that the company supports that came to speak to us. And the one lady has a, like a, a baby house in Johannesburg where they take in unwanted babies. She was telling us that she had like the God-given vision 20 years ago. And that desire and wanting to do something with it, but just it just didn't fly. Like if she tried, it failed and then, after a while, she just made peace the fact that she can't push this from herself. But she kept it. She kept her heart open. 
that, that conviction that this is what God has said. This is the thing that God has for me. And our last year during lockdown, everything just seemed to fall in place. And she was able to open up this baby home. 20 years. It's like almost my, my entire lifetime. And I think that's, that's something that's very difficult, is actually holding the hope of the things that God has spoken. I think it's so easy for discouragement to start creeping in when time starts passing and stop believing the things that God has said. Uh, recently, it was the Rodney, for those at home, it's a prophetic guy. He, he gave prophetic word to everyone at Equip for Life. And it was so cool. And quite a few people got, got word about this, like what relationship in marriage is going to be like or whatever. And everyone's like, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's exciting when certain things are spoken to us prophetically or when we feel God is speaking to us about something. But as Jason Upton says, Jesus likes taking, taking us on long walks. <laughs> and the time frame that we envision for a lot of the things that God speaks to us about is most of the times not the same time frame that God has in mind. And that thing, I think, kills just the hope and the overall drive for the things of God where we stop believing and get discouraged. And the second thing that I think is also quite, quite dangerous, and I think this is predominantly with certain personality types that are more inclined to this, but I think it's a danger for everyone, is when we start getting impatient with God doing what God needs to do, and we think, <laughs> we'll just also get involved in this. We'll just also put our hand in this whole thing. And a classic story, also out of the book of Genesis, where we see this is with Abraham and Ishmael. The promise of God, see the stars. That's going to be your generations. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Look at Sarah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this is going to work. And Abraham goes and he makes his own plan. And he produces Ishmael. Man's efforts are trying to bring about the will of God. And just, like if you look at the rest of the Bible, how through the generations, the offspring of Ishmael caused problems <laughs> for the actual promise of God, the actual family of Abraham. And we bring ourselves into actually, in the short run it seems, yes, I mean God has spoken about this. But just a little down the line, we start seeing like, no, this is actually just causing more problems than I thought this would be. And I think for us, I mean, this can play out in different sort of ways. I was using the thing of people getting worried about their spouses. If, if you're going to jump into, like push into a relationship that's not of God, like that's really setting you up for a lot of hurt, yeah? But also, like, that person's going to be so close to you. It influences the way that you walk with God. It influences the way that you relate with, with the people around you. And just other things, even, even something like work. I was speaking about the, the whole prison situation. where Limitations. Feeling I'm not 
doing what I'm called to be doing. I'm not walking all of these things out. But prematurely jumping and grabbing something that's not God will also steal from what he might be working in you, the situations that he might be preparing around you, whatever is required. And then also something <laughs> relocating to a different place. My palm friends in the house, I know <laughs> oftentimes have, have the desire to just go. <laughs> Whether it's the Bahamas or Europe or wherever, just don't tie me down. <laughs> but it's been so encouraging just to see people that catch this thing. And unless God is in this, I'm not going to move. What we were saying earlier, there's something of destiny that's bound with the people of God, but also just this is the will of God for my life. And if we're going to jump ship where God's not at, we're actually going to miss the things that he has for us. And as we consider the story of Joseph, we see the God who has time in his hands. Who knows exactly when to turn those keys. Exactly when to make those connections. I heard someone said once that God takes a really long time to do something suddenly. <laughs> and it really does feel like that. Like at the opportune, perfect time that God will come and unlock the door. And I think for me, my engineering brain, this just doesn't make logical sense. I can't just plan ahead. I can't just figure out that this is the things that God is going to do. Like, okay, I can plan around. I know he's going to throw a curveball there so I can at least prepare my heart for this. <laughs> it doesn't work like that at all. But something that, that I've come to rest in is he's in control. And I think we, we sometimes want to grab control of something because then we don't actually need God. <laughs> And it's just us. And I think anew this morning, let's open up and trust the God who holds the times and the seasons. In Romans like 8, more Romans 9, 10, we see this interesting portion where theologians have battled it out over centuries of how to make sense of this thing. And are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? And people go into these debates about this predestination and, and all these sort of things that happen. And I also got sucked into that at a stage. And then the one day, um, it speaks about, in, in Romans 11, it speaks about the remnant and how as the Gentiles are grafted in, God's going to do this, this thing at the end. And the end of Romans 11 hit me so hard the one day. So Romans 11, 33 to 36. So just after he spoke about this, like, rich, you don't understand the will of man, the will of God, how does this all fit in? And it says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And it hit me that if this is not the response, 
in most of our theology of like, (laughs) how unsearchable are your ways, God? To you be the glory forever. Then we're missing it. And I think in considering these things that I spoke about, the way of God, irrespective of our adversity, irrespective of the way that people treat us and perhaps throw you down, irrespective of the places that you find yourself, whether it's in the pit or just some peculiar place, whether it's just the period of time (laughs) that seems to stretch out and out and out. May this be our response again this morning. God, how unsearchable are your ways. How perfect are your ways. May we turn our eyes to Jesus and that confidence in, in his working just grip our hearts anew. I want to ask us to stand. Please. So I said earlier that the whole thing is going to be like physio rubbing a whole lot of different things. And I think just with that, the, the call for me this morning is, is not just a quick, quick fix. I think there's a lot that we can prop our eyes again at, at Jesus. And I would really encourage you that where you found that, ah, <laughs> that pressure point, um, that you would allow God to come and work that thing out. Something like forgiveness sometimes takes time. Opening up your heart takes time. All of these things. I think this morning, if we can all just close our eyes, whatever the things might have been for you this morning, just bring that in front of the Lord. Just even personally ask Him, God, come and open up my eyes again. where you've lost confidence, where you stop believing. God, that you would come. Thank you, Lord, for the restoration of calling, irrespective of, of circumstances, irrespective of what people's stories might have been and, and where they find themselves at this stage. I thank you that you are the God that is in control. That you are the God that is working things into people. That you are the one who is fulfilling your plans, your purposes, Lord. And I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to the hope that we have in you. Oh Lord, that you would take our eyes off circumstances. That you would take our eyes off past experience. And that you would fall afresh on us, God. And that our confidence would not be in, in what we see or what we're able to manipulate according to what we think is best. Lord, but that our confidence would be in you. A people that's unmoved by the circumstances around them. Lord, I want to pray specifically also this morning again for for hopelessness. Lord, that you would come and shine your light.
Thank you that you are a God who sympathizes with us. Lord, in our weakness, in our brokenness, you come and you meet us and you comfort us. So come even now, God of all comfort. Come and comfort in the way that only you can. Maybe there's some of you here that might not actually even know God. And just your whole life experience, you've never had that awareness of, of the God who's out there and interested, involved in your life. We see... Jesus who came to earth and who gave his life so that we may, may enter into a relationship with him. Who made it possible for this to be a reality for us. Reconcile to God and reconcile to the purposes of God. So if that's you, that you realize you've never actually walked with God or you realize that you've actually run your own way and You've thrown away the number one thing, relationship with Him, walking in the will of Him. Just while everyone's eyes are closed, I want to ask you to put up your hand. And just to respond to this, you can ask the Lord to come and have a relationship with you. He paid the ultimate price to make it possible. So if that is you, your heart will probably be beating a little bit faster and just become aware of this. So if that's you, don't waste this opportunity. No one else is going to expose you. I'm going to call you to the front. I just want to get an indication. I can chat to you afterwards. <laughs>